Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Romans chapter 12, and I will pray one more time briefly while you turn there. Father, we do invite you to manifest your presence, your nearness. We ask that you would bless, Lord, the reading, the teaching, the understanding, the application of your word, Lord, that we might be conformed more and more to the image of Christ, Lord, to enjoy you more, Lord, to obey and serve and honor you more. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, and I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the last time uh, you were cut off in traffic. How did you respond? And maybe, maybe it was a kind of a normal cutoff or maybe it was a pretty aggressive cutoff. You had to hit the brakes really hard. But some of us, I think, we, we get scared. We, we back off. We're like, wow, that person's a crazy driver. I'm going to slow down, give him some space, let him go, leave him alone. Other ones of us might tend to speed up. Like, he cut me off. I'm about to cut him back off. Uh, I know some other people, if the other driver seems too road rageous, they might say, I'm going to get his license plate, call 911. But I think most of the times, we don't have a natural gut instinct just to say, I'll overlook it. I'll forgive. The human instinct, when we're sinned against, when we're hurt, when we're attacked, whether it's in small ways or big ways, tends to be either to attack back or to run and hide, to play it safe, to get away, just to protect myself. And I want us to look at what Paul has to say because... We all know this. If you've been living long on planet Earth, you know there's going to be nicks and bruises. There's going to be bumps in the roads. Other people are sinners. They're going to hurt us. And so much of our sin is in how we respond when we've been sinned against. And so much of Christian instruction is about how we're supposed to love others when they sin against us. And so we're going to really look at three different ways this morning that you can respond when somebody sins against you. And the first would be this. It would be a passive type of evil. So I'm saying this is an evil response, but it's it's a passive type of evil. So let's start in Romans chapter 12, and let's jump down to verse 14. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. And then skip down to verse 18, which we looked at last week. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, I mentioned last week that many times when we're sinned against, one of our strategies is just to avoid that person. Maybe we give them the cold shoulder. Maybe we just run away. But it's some form of, you know what, I just want to stay away from that person. They're messy. They're kind of dangerous. Maybe sometimes we use words like toxic. And so the best thing I can do is just stay away from them. Great commentator named John Stott, many of you are probably familiar with, he says that we are to take the initiative to positive peacemaking. And again, this is the norm in the Christian life. Okay. Now, are there exceptions to this? Yes. I'm going to mention that in just a minute, okay? But the norm is when there's tension, when there's sin, it's your move. Whether you started it or not is not the question. We are to take the initiative. Remember Jesus said, you're at the altar, and you remember, oh, somebody else has something against me. Maybe I don't have anything against them. 
But I should leave my sacrifice here. I should go to them. But most of us don't do that. Now, let me, let me give another example. Just think about maybe some politician that you see on TV that you don't like very much. I'm not going to name any names, but you feel like this person is ruining our country. And just what tends to happen in your heart? Maybe you cuss them. Maybe it's not just in your heart. Maybe it's out loud if nobody else is home and you're screaming at the TV. Okay? Well, we don't tend to think all of these positive, loving thoughts towards a person like that. I mean, I know that I don't. I ought to be thinking, God, have mercy on this person and save them. But that's not typically where my heart goes first. Like, God, do whatever it takes to take this person's power away. Now, please hear me, guys. To love a sinner, and especially maybe a scandalous sinner, an evil sinner, it does not mean that I want them to thrive in their wicked ways. That wouldn't be loving. That wouldn't be best for them. That's not best for the world. The most loving thing would be for them to repent of all their wicked ways, for them to repent and be saved. But that ought to be the Christian heart. Now, I don't want to spend much time today talking about the politician on TV because that's too easy. I don't think any of us should drive to Washington, D.C. and sit down with anybody and say, hey, you don't know me. I'm a little uh, person out here in Florence, Alabama, but I just want you to know I had a lot of hate in my heart towards you, but I'm here to forgive you, okay? Uh, I don't think that's the application step that any of us should walk away with today. I want us to think much more locally. But I'll, the reality is sometimes, even in our local lives, we have people that we might even call enemies. I mean, what if you're dealing with somebody, an abusive spouse, something like that? And here's one thing that's very interesting, guys. If you keep reading in Romans, the ve- we're not going to get there today, but the very next chapter is chapter 13. And the very first part of chapter 13 is about the power of the government. And there can be times and places where you say, the best thing I can do for this person is call the police. The best thing that I can do for this person is to call on the authorities, whether that's the authorities of the church, the authorities of your family. If you have two kids fighting, right, there is a time for the two kids to stop fighting and say, mom, dad, come help us. That's just normal parenting 101, life in the family. And there can be times as adults when we're supposed to call in a higher authority to help us. But the the main point, and point one is just this. Don't do the passively evil thing of just saying, I'm just going to avoid them. They're messy. They're trouble. I'm just going to pretend like they're not there and just stay away from them. At least you might get there eventually. There might be a time after you've tried time and time again. I knew a man, it's been years ago, and uh, his wife had had an affair on him. And this man was a strong believer. And he did everything he could to pursue this woman. I will forgive you. I will take you back. He kept taking steps of initiation. And she just kept running. And eventually, rightly so, wisely so, he said, you know, I can't keep chasing her. And even the other elders in his church were saying, you know what? It's time to move on. You tried. Romans 12, 18 applies. You did everything you could to be at peace with this woman. She refused to be at peace with you. It's time to move on. But the point is, don't start from a place of... Just forget them, let them go, avoid. There ought to be a heart that says, I want to love, I want to reach out. They might be persecuting me, they might be hurting me. I want to bless them. That's the, first, that's the wrong way to respond. The second way would be this, a proactive kind of evil. Sometimes we don't just avoid. Sometimes we don't just give the cold shoulder. We do something much worse. Let's look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live 
peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So somebody sins against you. And again, let's think in more real, literal, day-to-day, local, domesticated ways. I gave the example, I think, last week when my children were young and my wife would cut their hair. And she always seemed to cut the hair over my side of the counter. And there was never enough time to clean it up. A loving thing would not be for me to decide, you know what? I'm just going to come in and cut my hair over your side of the sink. Tit for tat. You do something offensive to me, I'll do it back to you. But again, this is the instinct of our heart. I never did that, by the way, okay? I'm not saying I didn't think about it, but I never actually did it. That's the instinct of the human heart. But it's a sinful instinct. It's a wrong instinct. We ought to say, what can I do practically to bless them? What can I do practically to love them? What can I do practically? You're like, that sounds insane. Jesus sounds insane a lot of times, doesn't he? Bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. Love your enemies. Now, a lot of times, again, sweet little southern people were like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I'm talking to somebody. I don't have any enemies. Talk to them about 30 minutes more, and it'll come out. They do have an enemy. It's actually somebody in their family. They don't want to call them their enemy, but on a day-to-day basis, it feels like an enemy. We're supposed to love those people. Okay, now, verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, this is a little bit of a weird verse, and it can be hard to interpret, but here's the best understanding. When we are showing love to our enemies at some level, it's going to bring some, not always, but oftentimes, it's going to bring an appropriate guilt to their conscience. I'm treating this person so badly. Again, think about it. Maybe with your best friend, maybe with your roommate, maybe with your spouse. Has there ever been a time when they come in and they're in a bad mood and they go on the attack? Maybe they're angry. Maybe they're cold or whatever. And for whatever reason, you just happen to be having a really spirit-filled day that day. Maybe you had an extra special long quiet time. And so they kind of come in and they bite your head off out of nowhere. And rather than biting their head right back off, you kind of say, Hey, seems like you're having a bad day. With a smile on your face, not sarcasm, gentleness. I'd love to hear about what's going on, but... I don't necessarily love you taking it out on me. And there's a gentleness. Oftentimes, it will soften the other person. It'll catch them in the moment. They're like, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you. You're right. Things at work are tough. And I brought it home. But it's hard in the moment to catch ourselves. We mentioned last week Jesus and the thief on the cross. Almost certainly, one of those thieves was cursing Jesus. But he saw how kind and gentle Jesus was even under the pain of the cross. And it changed his heart. Likely something very similar happened when Paul, before he was an apostle, when he was a hater and persecutor of the church, when he was a part of the murder of Stephen, and he sees Stephen literally being hit with rocks, praying, Father, have mercy on me. He got to Paul. 
Our mercy, Christ's mercy through us, really does have the power to convict people. And not just to beat them up, but hopefully to melt them, to humble them, to change them, maybe even to bring them to a point of conversion. Now, guys, I want us to ask this question together for just a second. When somebody hurts us, when they sin against us, and it hurts, why are we so quick to either avoid that person, get away from them, or to go on the attack? And here's the reason. We don't like being hurt. And we want to protect ourselves. And guys, that is not a wrong instinct. And I want us to show how this passage even addresses that. Okay. So the third point is really the right way. If I'm not supposed to have a passive response, if I'm not supposed to have a proactive response in a sense of kind of they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them back. How should I respond? My response ought to be this. I want to overcome evil. I want to overcome evil. And guys, that's what we all want. And like, well, that's why I'm attacking them. That's why I'm yelling back at them. I'm trying to stop their evil at me. But there's a better way. The Bible never says that Christians are supposed to be Stoics. The Bible never says we're supposed to be emotionless. It's like, I got thick skin, nothing hurts me. That's Stoicism, not Christianity. Nor does the Bible say we're supposed to enjoy suffering like some kind of masochist. Like the more pain, the better. That's not Christianity. Christianity, we're real people. Real feelings. Of course we get hurt. Of course our natural instinct is to protect, to attack. We don't want to be hurt again. But the Christian way is different. There's a way that we're supposed to overcome evil. And so much of it is this. Look look at verse 16 again. The second half. Never be conceited. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. So much of our arrogance, our haughtiness, our conceit, when we're dealing with conflict with somebody else, as we think, I know how to fix this. I know how to address this. We don't want to trust God's timing. We don't want to trust God's plan. We want to take matters into our own hands, and that will often backfire. Okay? Again, look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. When we hear about a really evil sinner... Or repeat sinner hurting many people. There's a desire for vengeance. And guys, this may be a little counterintuitive to us in the church, but I want to say this. The desire for vengeance is not a bad thing. So important. This passage never says vengeance is bad. It just says it's too heavy of a task for you to carry out. Right? Think about this. If you're a parent... Discipline your kids the exact right way is a hard thing, right? Should we spank yes or no? I mean, the Bible makes it pretty clear, but that's even become controversial in our day. But let's say, no, we all agree on spanking, but then they do something wrong. How many licks? How hard should the lick be? Do I use a belt, a spoon, my hand? I mean, even that is really hard. So you think about at a higher level when somebody sins against me and I take it personally... I'm not wise enough to know how to dish out the consequences they need, but God is. Vengeance is not a bad thing. It's just God's thing. It's not my thing. It's not your thing. And so much of mature Christianity is to say, God, this person has hurt me. They've sinned against me. They're hurting other people. They're sinning against other people. And I want it to stop. But I trust you to stop it. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands because I'll just make it worse. 
There's a uh, theologian named Miroslav Volf. He's a professor at Princeton. He comes from Yugoslavia, you know, where there was terrible ethnic cleansing and civil wars for years. Now, Princeton is not exactly the bastion of conservative theology, theology these days. But he does believe in a literal hell. And this is part of what he says. He says, you know, all these Christians that say, oh, we don't believe in hell. We don't believe in the vengeance of God. We don't believe in the wrath of God. We don't believe in eternal suffering. He said, the only people that can really believe that are like middle class Americans who've never suffered. Because when you've really been sinned against, like your wife has been raped and your children have been killed. How do you forgive those people? The only way you can forgive them is if you believe there's a God that will settle the scores one day. And so you don't have to. Again, very counterintuitive. But guys, I want for myself and I want for all of us to be as radical in practice as the Bible is radical in its teaching about mercy and forgiveness towards one another. But that's all got to be rooted ultimately in the character of our God. And the whole character, not just the parts that are nice and sweet to talk about. Now let's think about application for just a second. Why are we so reluctant to extend forgiveness even before the offender repents? We've talked about if you're going to confront somebody, you've already got to have a sense of forgiveness in your heart. A willingness to forgive, a desire to forgive, a yearning to forgive, an eagerness to forgive. A a leaning into forgiveness. Planning to forgive. Hoping to forgive. Offering forgiveness. Why is that so hard? Do you remember uh, one of the first weeks we were together, we looked at Adam and Eve? They sinned. They both sinned individually, but they also sinned against each other. Adam was a passive leader for Eve. He didn't do a good job as a leader. Eve was a wife that was trying to influence Adam to do the wrong things. They both sinned against each other. And as soon as they sinned and they were convicted of their sin, what was their first response? Hide. Cover up. Self-protect. I don't trust you anymore. Let me get some fig leaf aprons going. Because I don't even like the way you look at me anymore. And guys, that is still our natural response. Somebody has hurt me, I'll protect myself. I'll save myself from any more harm. Again, totally understandable. But it's still not the best strategy. Flip over to Matthew chapter 4 for just a second. Matthew chapter 4, very familiar passage at the very beginning of the Lord Jesus' ministry. And he's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And there were three different temptations. The first was to turn stones into bread. The second was to jump off the temple and see if the angels would save him. And in both of those temptations, Jesus quoted a verse, basically said, no thanks, Satan. And it really seemed like he handled the first two temptations. They didn't bother him. It's kind of like... You know, I've been fasting 40 days. I can wait another day. Not a big deal. But look when it comes to the third temptation. Look at the temptation and look at the response. Again, the devil, this is, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, just stop and let's dig a little deeper. And what was the real temptation here? I mean, Jesus came to planet Earth. To conquer it for his father. To take it back from Satan and his power. We've been saying about that this morning. But what was going to be the method to conquer planet earth? It was going to bring 
great suffering on the Lord Jesus. The suffering of the cross. And essentially what Satan was saying is, hey, skip the cross and still get the crown. You want everything on planet earth back? I'll give it to you. And you don't have to suffer. Just bow down and worship me. And look at how Jesus is going to respond in verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now this temptation seems like it got to Jesus a little bit. Get out of here, Satan. This is the only temptation that we know of for sure that was repeated multiple times in Jesus' life. We won't take time to flip there. But do you remember in Matthew chapter 16, right after Jesus had said, Who do you say that I am? And Peter stepped forth and said, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus was like, You got it right. That was lesson one. Who am I? Lesson two, what did I come to do? And he starts talking about his suffering on the cross. And Peter says, Jesus, let me pull you over here to the side, buddy. You're not going to go to the cross. Don't talk that way. What's with all this negative self-talk? And Jesus was wise enough to know what was going on. He said, get behind me, Satan. Same temptation. Skip the cross, still get the crown. And guys, do you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? Again, we looked at it last week. What were the other robbers? What were the high priests? Matthew tells us even random passers-by on the highway, strangers were screaming at him, You saved others, save yourself. If you really are the Son of God, come down off the cross. That was the greatest temptation that Jesus ever faced. To save himself. To protect himself from suffering. And guys, that's one of the greatest temptations that we face. On sinful planet earth, dealing with other sinners, we're going to get hurt. And everything in us is going to want to cover up and hide, but we have got to be willing to step in and love. Let me tell a personal story. Early in my marriage, my wife and I were both pretty type A, and we fought a lot. First three years, like cats and dogs. And like I said, we're both both pretty intense. We would have yelling matches. It was not pretty. And one time, I think it was about year two of marriage, I don't remember exactly what had been done or said, but I had really hurt my wife. And she was... Her method tended to be the avoid, the cold shoulder. She was really good at it as well. Uh, But she eventually came back. And as she was explaining to me why she came back, she said, at one point I was praying. And she said, I was praying saying, God, I'm a Christian. I know I have to forgive Owen, but I really don't want to. Because I'm fearful he's just going to do the same thing again. So she said, God, if you can promise me I'll never get hurt again emotionally by this man, then I'll forgive him. And that sounds like a pretty fair deal, right? And again, you know, my wife said it was as though God put a fault in my mind that I didn't put there. That basically said, that's not the way it works. You got to be willing to forgive even knowing you probably will be hurt again. Because that's the way the gospel works, guys. Is that Christ was willing to come to earth and forgive us knowing, knowing it was going to hurt him. Knowing it was going to cost him. Guys, forgiveness is a step of faith. Really going after people, loving them, initiating time. It's a gigantic step of faith because it's like, good chance I could get hurt. Good chance this won't go good the first time. Good chance there might have to be multiple conversations. 
The instinct, though, to save myself, protect myself. Do you see how anti-gospel that is? It, it's a form at the human level of self-salvation, self-preservation. I don't really trust God, his timing, his way, his method. Let me fix this. Let me fix that person, maybe. But let me protect myself at all costs. How was Jesus able to hang on the cross, suffering the just wrath for our sin, and stay humble, stay gentle, stay meek, stay mild, stay merciful, praying for his enemy? How was he able to do that? He trusted the Father's plan. He trusted the truth of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What all these people mean for evil, God means for good. And so even in our much smaller conflicts that we have with people, I'm not talking about letting people take advantage of us. But I'm saying initiate into the messy process of forgiveness because we trust that God has a good plan here as well. Even when it takes the first time, the second time, the third time, maybe longer. So here would be the last thought. Do you remember some of the last words that the Lord Jesus prayed before he died? Into thy hands I commit my spirit. I'm about to die, Father. I'm about to go under. My only hope is that you're there. You're real. You're in control. You have all power. You still love me. You're going to provide for me. You're going to take care of me. You're going to raise me up one day. And it worked. It worked really well. And if we have faith in that gospel to save us from the eternal wrath of God that we deserve, in much, much smaller ways, we ought to be able to step into awkward conversations with people initiating towards forgiveness, saying, God, this might hurt. I might get wounded in this conversation. I might get wounded in this relationship. But into thy hands I commit my spirit. I trust you to protect me. And the way it works for God's people is this. He will oftentimes let us be hurt in the short run. But in the long run, it will turn out for blessing. It will turn out for glory for him and joy for us when we are able to take this risky step of faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you that you're the perfect example. But thank you so much more that you are our Savior. So that when we blow it, when we get angry, when we sin, when we lash out in a verbal tirade, or when we just get scared and hard and cold and run away and avoid people, there's mercy for us. I pray that you would convict us of our sin. I pray that you would draw us, Lord, to repent of our sinful ways of dealing with conflict. But more and more, conform us to your image that we might be like you, lovers, pursuers, initiators, forgivers. Empower us with your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.